Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, welcome to On My Block Packers Podcast. Thank you for watching. I'm your host, Mike Wall. Aman will not be with us today. He is in transit from what I can only imagine is a esports event. Probably, maybe in Dallas, maybe in Arlington. I think he was in Arlington last week. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he's not going to be here, so we're going to talk a little bit of Packers stuff today. We'll get into a little bit of tape. It'll be fun. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much to our partners. At betonline.ag. Betonline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest playoff odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. For, for those of you who don't know what the pro basketball uh, league is, it's called the NBA. Betonline's going to have to work on that a little bit. Betonline is always your sports information headquarters this season. We have you covered for all your sports wagering needs basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right into UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games. You can play right from your home. I should actually get into that. Online poker is amazing. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get into the action. Be sure to use our promo code Believe, code Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Well, we are officially in to the Green Bay Packers youth movement as we found out maybe last night or earlier this morning that this show's favorite Packer by far, Mr. Mercedes Lewis, will not be returning to this team. Billy Turner, who I made us think about leaving to go to, I think, the Broncos the year before last um, after playing at a what I thought was a Pretty high level, Cer certainly an upgrade from uh, what has happened since. Is now a New York Jet along with Randall Cobb, along with Alan Lazard, along with Aaron Rodgers, maybe Mercedes Lewis, who knows. Certainly, the Jets seem to be setting themselves up for taking a big swing at the, uh, at the Super Bowl. The Green Bay Packers now, youth movement is on. Draft. Had some really interesting players come to the draft we talked about last week, but certainly with Jordan Loves taking the reins, being the guy, having a Romeo Dobbs, having a Christian Watson, drafting two tight ends, Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave, drafting Jaron Reed, having running backs in their 20s, although I know Aaron Jones is, is not old by any means, uh, but certainly uh, an experienced veteran. You start looking across the breadth of the offense, at least. Bakhtiari must be the oldest guy, but you have a third-year player at Myers. You have a third or fourth-year player in John Rennie Jr. Yash, I think, is going to be a fourth-year player if he plays right tackle. Ozan Jenkins is a fourth or fifth-year player. So you've got young guys everywhere. And if you really believe that Jordan Love is going to be the guy, this is this – is, as good a situation as you can hope for, knowing that 
the chances of you winning the division and going to the playoffs this year are, are very, very slim. The Detroit Lions are right now on paper a much better team. They're well coached. They have great leadership from Dan Campbell at the top and their general manager as well. The draft, they picked up four starters in the draft for the first four picks. You can like their picks. You can not like their picks. You can say there's not value, blah, blah, all that. I don't, listen, I'm a football player. When I see them pick up four guys that'll make a difference on day one, I think that's a really, really good draft. May they not be, they might not be ready for prime time from a Super Bowl standpoint, but they are going to be able to compete and win the, and I'll be shocked if they don't win the NFC North. Unless the Vikings pull off something miraculous, unless Jordan Love is the next coming of who, Brett Favre, then the Lions look like they're going to win the NFC North. It could be a race. We talked about it last week with Amon. Could be a race to the bottom at the NFC North here with the Packers, maybe the Bears. Um, the Vikings might take a step, a step back, although they did bring up Brian Flores as the defensive coordinator, so I think is a huge deal. The one thing that you would think is a positive, you're looking, so you look at the, the offense and you go, all right, we've got all these young players and these pieces in place, but Jordan, they're going to grow with Jordan Love. We could have this nucleus, nucleus, nucleus of great players here for the next five, six, seven years until, you know, maybe the first round of free agency, maybe they get into their second contracts, depending on how all of them do. We're talking about Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, we're talking about the two rookie tight ends. We're talking about Jordan Love, obviously um, getting that fifth year extension, not quite the fifth year option, but the fifth year extension with incentives to go up to 20 or 22 million. I can't remember which one it was, but we're going to get a kind of a prove it deal there. I think it was good team friendly and also obviously great for him coming off of really a handful of snaps. We have now drafting Lucas Van Ness with the with the 13th pick in the in the 2023 draft. We have eight, eight, I'll say it, eight first rounders on defense. Last year, I believe we were 28th in yards per game. Eight first rounders. Kenny Clark, Jerry Alexander, Sean Gary, Darnell Savage, Eric Stokes, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and now Lucas Van Ness. We have Devontae Campbell. High price free agent. We have Preston Smith on the higher end of middle paid free agents. This team does not have this team. Let me rephrase that. Goody has done an incredible job of setting this team up to be sustainable because he has eight first round draft picks on defense knowing that you had an Aaron Rodgers on offense and knowing that when the, with that succession plan and having to maybe deal with lack of production on the offensive side over the course of the next, I don't know, season, at least half, six games, eight games, until they get their footing, you should have this defense in place that allows this team to claw and scratch for a handful of wins where in games maybe you didn't think they were going to win because they don't they, maybe they don't put up 25 26 points a game because of their defense now towards the end the toward, people say the second half is towards the end of the season last year this defense started looking like something that resembles an old Fritz Sherman defense in the Green Bay Packers right start playing a little you let Jerry Alexander be Jerry Alexander a little bit more. 
Obviously, losing Rashawn Gary was a huge deal, but we saw some guys step up in that department. I think we're going to get even more production next year when Rashawn comes back. We have Devondre Wyatt with another year under his belt. Lucas Van Ness, maybe he can he can show us something. We'll watch some tape on him a little bit later. But if you look at where's the if you said where's the pressure on this team? Well, Jordan Love's going to be whoever Jordan Love is. This offense has a lot of young pieces in place. Hopefully they change the scheme uh, to to account for those two tight ends. Maybe they turn into a little bit more of the Niner scheme. So I think there's pressure on any NFL player, especially at quarterback. But the the pressure to me, you look at the defense and what they have fallen short of as far as expectations the last couple of years, not just the players, but the coaching staff, Joe Barrett at the head of it, Matt LaFleur at the head of it. That's who the pressure's on for me. That team has to show up. You got to have a team that's a top 10, you know, top seven defense with eight first rounders on it. Like if you don't just say that out loud, eight first rounders out of 11 on a starting defensive unit. And I, okay, maybe some of these guys, maybe Luke's fan doesn't start right away. You have eight guys on defense that were first rounders. You have to be better. You have to be like, if you're not, you have a ridiculous problem with, identifying talent or coaching it's only it can only be one of those two things you either don't know how to identify talent or you're not good at you're not you're not good at developing talent so only two things that could possibly be you're not playing any different teams than anybody else the nfc north has not been a powerhouse for a number of years sure you have to play good if you're first place every year you got to play good first place teams you're going to get against good offenses that's the name of the game so we'll see where the rubber meets the road this year Got eight first round picks on defense. How are we going to do? What needs to happen on that side of the ball to improve? Fundamentals. If you just go back to, we'll show a little bit of, uh, with the with the rookie. If you get body position, footwork, sound tackling, holding your point on defense on the defensive line, linebackers attacking holes, attacking uh, attacking would be blockers, so you can make tackles not nine yards downfield but three yards downfield. That's literally all there is to this game. Sure. Are you going to have these moments where Justin Jefferson goes wild in the first round? Hopefully not next year because you have a little bit better sense of who you are from a secondary standpoint. But those things happen. What can't happen is missing alley tackles. What can happen is guys getting to the second level because we're missing up front. What can't happen is getting blocked out of your hole. Those are just fundamentals of the sport. So if we get better at those, one would think, given the talent that we have, Top 10 defense, top seven defense. They had rookie camp last week. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, let's take a look at. I want to look at a couple more uh, clips of Lucas Van Ness. Um, Peter Skaronsky was a first-round draft pick. He was, he was one of, if not my favorite, one of the favorite tackles coming out. Plays at Northwestern. They had Rashawn Slater the year before. Um, they're just putting out some talent. So I just, again, hit start, went through the, the clips that he's involved in. So in other words, if they're running to keep pass the other way, I don't, I don't leave those in. I went through about, I think two and a half, two and a half quarters, maybe first two and a half quarters of the game. So we can take a look at this and just kind of see what we can, if we can learn anything from the tape about Lucas and, and what he's all about. So you see number 91 lined up here. The first thing you see is against a uh, a tight end, he tries to take takes the inside bait a little bit on this counter play. 
go back a little bit. So they got the tight end of the wing. They're going to end up running a counter here. He probably thinks he's on the back side because the back is near to him. So he swoops underneath. But what we don't want to see is you got to be able to get off these blocks. And he's going to end up getting pancaked on this on the other side of the field. And that's just something that as you get better, you get more aware, you get become more comfortable. It's not just about having a stiff arm power. It's not just about – it's about being slippery. It's about being unblockable. What other ways can we just turn our shoulders, turn our hips, make it very, very difficult to block? And if they do get their hands on us, how do we get them off? Inside versus the guard here. Tipping his stance, obviously. He's head up – or you know, we call that a two technique. You see that right foot. It's back. It's staggered. It's light, which means inevitably he's probably going into that A-gap. But he does this at a – He's very quick off the line, especially when he's in three-point. So they're running a little TT game here. He gets blocked off pretty easily. So he goes into his power move. Obviously, they had a good play on the backside there with the, uh, with the blitz from the slot. I like this play. He sees that the tackle is leaving. He sees by the stance, by where the head placement is. So he does an excellent job just having awareness, watching film, transferring film to the practice field or excuse me to the game field which is something that is imperative in the national football league can you can you learn something on tape and apply the lesson directly to the field of play does a great job here of beating the backside tight end on the tackle pull gets in the backfield ends up just making the play easy money those are the kind of plays that you are going to see a lot in the national football league you see a lot of tackle pulls now you see a lot of tight ends having to insert a lot of times they'll bring that tight end and just kind of orbit him back so he can come from the B-gap out. But if you stay, we'll see a little bit later, if you're able to stay compact, he is a phenomenal athlete from a leverage, being able to play skinny and accelerate standpoint. When he can take the tape information and apply it by reading his external cues pre-snap, very, very dangerous player. We see her lined up in a four technique versus Skronsky. Just get thrown down on the keep pass. Not a big deal at all. It's never bound to happen. So I love this play. So you go from a wider position where the tackle has already kind of got his footwork set from his stance. You come in and play a tight five, okay? And now you get in this position here where even though he gets his hand snatched, we'll talk about that in a minute, he's quick enough because he runs that four, five, nine. He's quick enough to turn the shoulders from that tight five. So in other words, if that tackle's footwork isn't correct, if he kind of just spaces out his footwork and gets a little bit wide, that tackle's never going to open up here. Now he has to learn to be a little bit better with his hands and not play so far over his shoulders that he can get knocked back like this as far as knocking his hands down. What Van Ness does a good job of, despite Skronsky being able to play with his hands all day here, he does more often than not end up staying upright, not getting falling on the ground. A lot of guys, if you get your hand set, you just fall on the ground. He does a good job of getting back into the body and trying to get some push here. Skaronsky's, you know, as far as, as far as, you know, ready-made NFL lineman, he's probably the cream of the crop last year. So you're going to see some things on this tape where you go, he's playing against an NFL caliber player right now. See the wide set. Now, this is the one where you say you're trying you're trying to learn how to do a spin move. Fair enough. Right here, you're 
it's okay to try different moves, right? And maybe this, if this move worked like a hundred times in practice, maybe you give it a go, but you can see his timing's way off. Uh, um, when you line up wide and you're a power rusher and you take away the thing that you're good at, to me, it's a wasted rep. And you could say here, well, the quarterback flushed and ran. Okay. But you look at Skaronsky, who is again, a premier player in this, in, in not only in the big 10, but also in, in, in college football, his body position right here is one that he's back. He's upright. He's leaning backwards. His hands are, his hands are out outside his body. Van Ness could come right through and absolutely murder because he's remember he's coming from wit. So Skronsky thinks he has to get back. He's really, he's on his heels. Okay. He's not really good at deep setting. You can tell right here, get back, put that two hand bull on. And now you can work an angle. You can work an armpit. You can allow yourself to be successful. And when he tries to recover with his wide feet, now you pick a side. But if you're just going to go in and do this, you're doing the tackle a favor because you're a little bit out of control. See, I said here on a screen, you see uh, Skronsky's again batting his hand down. He's on the on the left side of the screen here. Skronsky's really good at playing with hands. So Van Ness a lot of times tries to do that one-arm, two-arm stab. So one of the things he's going to have to learn is you have to be able to show that stab and counter immediately, or you're going to have to be able to work something off it because too often he gets down like this. And because he's a good athlete, he kind of gets into the hip and he can maybe bull into the pocket. But as far as like a sustainable technique that you want to use, like you don't want to go and if, if your D-line coach says, hey, what's your best pass rush move? It's like, well, I like to stab the guy. And if he knocks my hand down, I just try to not stay off the ground and bull him into the, the quarterback. It's effective, but or it can be effective, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's what necessarily what we're going for, right? You're going to have to try to plan some counter moves off this a little bit. I know this is a screen game. You're on the tight end. So what you like to see here is you have to dominate this blocker every time. And he tries to rip inside, but unfortunately he just doesn't really gain any ground. So you either need to take that edge. You need to take that inside gap or you need to be able to press extend with your hands, which you're usually really good at. You see it over against 72 right here in the in the right, uh, the left defensive end on the right side of our screen, pressing and extending reading, which he does do a good job of at times. But when you try to rip inside like this and you're high and you're late, you know you can get pinned by a player who's not nearly as good as you are. Now, I love this play. Triple player. He's going to two-hand press Skaronsky as he, as he exits down. He's going to – you see the split flow action with 88 – He's going to go underneath the split flow, and he's going to make the play. If you're scouting this guy and you want him to be great, if you're scouting this guy and you're just going, I need this guy to hit, I want to pick him at 13, you're probably showing this play more than a handful of times to the guys in the room. Presses, gets underneath, and makes the tackle. It's a phenomenal play. I'm going to show it one more time. Presses, gets underneath. Makes the play. It's a phenomenal play. Now, can 88 do better? Hey, that's that's the game. You can't. That's that. It's never somebody. It's never your fault if the guy across from you isn't doing his job. That's his problem. All you can do is your job. He did a great job right there. See him against Skaronsky again here. Just a quick 
uh, a quick jump set because they're running a quick screen. You're going to see this on both sides. One thing you have to work on, you have to get a lot better at, is understanding the intention from the stance. We saw, I showed the highlighted the awareness when the guy was going backside. But now, if you're going to get short set, for example, you have to have an answer to getting short set, whether it's going inside, whether it's attacking the outside of upfield arm. You have to have an answer. You can't end up in this position. This He ends up in this position too much in this game, more so from the right tackle than the left. Okay. Against Skaronsky again, stand-up two-point play here. Run play. For fans out there who see this and they go, oh, man, that was a great job. He just, you know, overran it or whatever. This is a bad play by defensive ends in the National Football League you see all the time. They think that they're doing something here because they they dive, they dip their shoulder, and they get upfield. Look at the space. And this happens. Every single player, stand-up, two-point guy does this. You look at like the NFC South, the Tennessee Titans. Last year, they do this all the time. It's crazy. And you just open this wide space. And maybe it's the inevitability that they're going to run an understander play action pass from that same formation sometimes. So the, the defensive end's like, I'm just going to take a chance that I'm right here and then go sack the quarterback. But this is a bad position to leave the rest of your defense on. And this ends up being a big play or a nice play at least for Northwestern. A little three-point. I like him a lot more out of three-point than out of two. We talked about that already. I think he just plays with much better leverage. Slips here, but you see again, he's getting that full lean. And this is just, this is reps. This is reps and getting better at your craft. You get into that lean in and try to press out. If you have a tackle that's good with that inside hand, you got to find some options here because you're going to end up in bad situations more often than not. Not like that quarterback. That was terrible. Okay, we see the short set here. All right. And the short set just ends up in a bull every time. And if you're like, if, when I was playing, if if I know that if I can short set you and you're just going to bull me every time, I'm going to short set you every single play, right? Because that is basically taking away all your all of your options. If I can engage you with two hands at the line of scrimmage and you're not going to make me pay for it, I'm just going to keep doing it. Great job shedding inside. So he wins. You can't see the whole play. He wins on the tight end. Tackle leaves because he plays outside leverage on the tight end and swims inside, makes the tackle here. Phenomenal play taken down against a guy, a, a tight end. Same tight end he beat on the split flow. Great job here. Great technique. Again, we see the short set. And you're in this position where you look at this, you go, man, he's in a great position right here. But that tackle, this is exactly what he, he doesn't care. He's probably trying to grab him with hands outside. Right, because all he's trying to do is get a 275 pound guy. This tackle's probably rolling around 320. He's probably saying, Oh, a 275 pound guy wants to try to bull rush me from the line of scrimmage. Love it. Do more of it. You know, like Rashawn Gary, you you want Rashawn Gary to do this. If if you could promise a right tackle that Rashawn Gary, as good as he is, was gonna bull rush you from the line of scrimmage every play, they would take that every they 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 would literally pay you money to guarantee that. Okay, so this is something that you have to be able to read the stance, read the intentions, know the history, and be able to work angles so that he can't just go. If you go right down the middle on a player that's you know 50 pounds more than you, it's just too easy to stop your pull. You have to have momentum at 275, as good an athlete as you are, you got to have some momentum 
in order to get that bull. In other words, you can't bull for seven and a half yards. You got to be able to bull for three and a half, four tops. Got a little bit wider player here. Got the wing. Now, once you get to this position, now it's interesting, right? Because now you're shoulder on shoulder. And if you've ever heard any, you know, for fans out there or for people that are you know, trying to learn how to pass rusher or pass block, you always hear good defensive line coaches talk about, hey, listen, before we make our move, we're going to attack elbows, attack armpits, and smell their breath, okay? We want to get close to you. We want to be shoulder pad on shoulder pad because now we can flip our hips and use our athleticism. So the right tackle is in the worst position he can be because he's not extended. You look at the left tackle right here as opposed to arms extended. Okay, body's the way you have recovery. So you have built-in recovery time. Right tackle has no more recovery time. He flips his hips. He's on the quarterback. And I think he does here. Flips, get around, just misses him, ends up getting in the play. We talked about this before because of uh, his aggression, which you like. You like the stab. You like the hand, hand placement inside. But you're playing against a guy who's got really good um, inside hand work. You have to get your hips underneath you. Because you can't keep getting knocked down and batted and drive and driven into the ground or driven with your head down. You got to bring your hips with you on these plays. You got to go a little bit better low to high. Because when you're just placing and trying to orbit around with your feet, you get that knocked down. It's very easy for Skaronsky to take that inside hand, knock it down, and then just glove him up. That was a really nice play by the. Uh, Honestly, that was a really nice play by, by the quarterback. What are you going to do? The, the young man has a lot of physical traits and, and, and skill set. There's just – you can see from that, and it started last week with him rookie minicamp. There's a lot of stuff that we can improve on, a lot of stuff we can work on. So the ceiling's high. But, you know, we talked about last week, like, wow, 13th pick, 13th. It's it's uh, – you could just see there's some things from a slippery standpoint, from a from a, a thought process standpoint, how you're doing everything. There's some great awareness. There's some things we can work on, and that just comes with seasoning. Like I didn't, he's so far. Like I, we say this stuff, and just so everybody is on the same page. He's so far ahead of where I was at that age. That I mean, it's not playing a different sport, right? So, sky's the limit. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I do want to talk about roll this into the talk, the topic of the day for me, which is I've been having some discussions with NFL coaches and the coaches in different sports about player development. What is the process in the building? I kind of want to explain this to, to fans and, and maybe if any players or coaches, anybody's listening, player development's a big area uh, right now because youth sports up, they're so competitive. There's so much money going in. There's U Sports is like a $20 billion business annually in the United States. I think the NFL makes $14 or $15 million, uh, billion dollars annually. Huge paychecks. Salaries are huge for the players. Salaries are huge for the coaches. And so there's competition level. And, 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 there's, and then there's also on top of that in the NFL, there's the CBA. There's the amount of time and hours you can spend with your, with your coaches. Amount of time you can spend in the building. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? It's all perspective. And one thing universally that we can improve on as I'm taking, I'm going to talk to players from a coach's standpoint, from a parent's standpoint, most of the kids that we look at 
Lucas Van Ness, for example, is a perfect. He's coming in, talent, well coached at Iowa, developed from a physical standpoint. There are things that he doesn't know he doesn't know, right? Unconscious incompetence about the NFL, about where to look, your external cues, what should be what should be tipping you off for certain plays, certain things that the person against you is going to do. What happens to certain quarterbacks in certain scenarios? What are the end of the game rules? What are your, you know, what is your game management, you know, situation? There's certain things he just doesn't know yet. There's certain things that from a technical standpoint, he might not understand. He might not uh, know where he's at on the scale right now versus like an NFL vet. First step, leverage, hand placement, second move, awareness. And more than likely, he hasn't been around. And I don't know this for a fact. I'm just, I, this is a much broader conversation. I'm using one person because we just watched the film. But most of these guys have never been around a pro. There's, you know, like Von Miller is not sitting in the room going, Hey, this is how you're going to get better this offseason. You're going to go to this person. He's going to get you, you know, you, we, we, we see the way that you move. And we think that if you improve your hip strength in this area, it's going to help you get off on that area. We see that you like to use this move. So we got to improve your core and your mobility so you can bend a little bit more here. Those things don't, those things need to happen. And they probably haven't happened yet. And when they do, or if they do happen, that person is going to be that much better a player. Like you elevate from a first-round draft pick to a pro bowler to an all-pro, et cetera, right? All those things kind of have to come together. But my point is, if nobody is there to help, like if you don't have a process and nobody's there to help you, you got a problem. And what we see a lot at the highest levels is it's not about player development. It's about winning. So what you do is you put in the stuff as a coach, you put in what you can, what can you control? Well, I can. I don't have the players for that long, but I have a huge playbook. So I can teach them the playbook. If my playbook's better than your playbook, then I should win, right? And if I don't win, it's because these guys aren't, aren't playing right. From a player standpoint, what they can control is how well they go through a process of learning how to beat the person in front of them. They can control their process. Okay. How do I develop? Well, I, I haven't. I play a season. I go to my exit interview with my coach. Does my coach give me something to work on? Does he give me something to work on from a technical standpoint? Does he give me something to work on from a physical standpoint that that maybe merges with my technical? Does he want me to increase my football awareness or IQ by watching film in certain situations, or or be able to make sure that I can talk at nauseum about the defensive ends if I'm playing tackle defensive tackles in my division? Do I have a book on everybody? It's like if guys don't know to do that, like if I leave the room after the season in January and they just say, hey, good, good game, good season. You played hard. We're going to get him next year. So, well, how are we going to get him? I don't know. And that happens more than you would imagine. That happens at the youth level, college level, the high school level, pro level. So the best guys – the best players have either A, they have that guy for them. They either have that coach that is going to do that for them, is going to say, 
I want you, next time I see you, I expect that you know this. You've learned how to do this. I'm going to put this on tape. This is what we saw on tape. You're going to fix it. I'm going to talk to you every week and make sure you fix it. You're going to go to the weight room. You're going to work on these things. You're going to go meet this person because they they do Pilates and Pilates is going to help your core strength. We're going to go meet this power lifter because you need to get better in the shoulder press because you're getting, you, you get locked out too easy, et cetera. Or they have somebody in their life, whether it's a, a mentor, whether it's another player, that's kind of taking them along that path. But it's not really the way that a lot of buildings get down. We've kind of talked about it with the Packers a little bit. Like when you don't see group improvement from year to year, you start going, well, wait a second, what are we missing? The plays don't really change from team to team, right? A little bit of philosophy and a little bit of plays do. Maybe the way you call them. But the execution changes. And when the execution changes or doesn't change at the individual, at the group level, down the individual level, you start going, well, why? Okay. What does that look like? And this is because we have a youth movement going into Green Bay. This is that opportunity. When we talk about Matt LaFleur's coaching um, up to this point and the staff up to this point and how everything's kind of reset because you don't have Aaron Rodgers. This is kind of what I've been talking about. Now you have this rookie class. How do you indoctrinate them into what you're doing from a scheme standpoint? How do you take a look at them? They've all watched. I mean, Luke Musgrave has every, every coach on offense has watched his tape. The tight ends coach, the coordinator, and the head coach all know that tape front to back, all of it, because he didn't play that much last year. So we could literally pull out a tape and say, listen, you false step on the, your first step 99% of the time. Here's how – and show them. We're going to fix this. And here, here's why we're doing it, and here's how we're going to do it. When you run this route, you're, you know, you're wiggling instead of waggling, whatever. You do it this amount of time. Here's why it matters, and here's how we're going to show you. You could do that on day one. You want to get buy-in immediately? Remember what players want, right? Put me in a position to be successful. Teach me how to be successful. You do that, I'll do anything you want. So you start there. You go down to the weight room. Chris Gizzy, Mark Levi. Hey, your co- I, ta- I met with your coach. Your coach wants you to do this because this is what you're going to be requiring, the requirements of your, of your position this year. We're going to do a lot more hitting. We've got to beef up your, your, your neck and your shoulders. We need, to, we need to work on your change of direction. We're going to do that on the field. We're also going to add some, some um, adductor, abductor movements to your, to your individual workout plan. So now I got, okay, this is how I'm going to feel technically. I'm going to improve on this physically. Now you go upstairs and your coach says, hey, I want you to, I want you to break down this, this one tape of this defensive end, this strong safety, this line. I want you to break down. I want you to write a scouting report. And next week, you and I are going to go over it together. And I'm going to show you what you did, and I'm going to show you what I did. I'm going to see if, if we can make those meet in the middle. So you understand what I am seeing, and I understand what you think is important. Now, we can do all of this. They have time. They're the, they're, the rookies are in the building for like nine hours right now a day. It's crazy, like four hours, four days a week. Like I want to say eight or nine hours a day. So you, you started – Minicamp, you go through this entire offseason, right? And every single maybe two weeks or every time you go through an OTA or a minicamp, you go, hey, here's the takeaway from this. This is what we're going to focus on right now. You know, and we start just like, it's like compound interest, right? You just start building and building and building and building and building. And all of a sudden you have this parabolic effect if guys are getting better. 
you do the whole thing through mini camps, OTAs. They take that break. They go and find, hey, you can't, don't go home and get lazy. Here's a number of a guy that I work with. Maybe it's a technical guy. Maybe it's a strength conditioning guy. Like the NFL has resources and you can send players or say, hey, listen, I'm cool with this guy. I, I rock with this guy. I like the way that he does business. I like the way he guys from a conditioning standpoint, from a physical standpoint. I like the way this guy teaches technique. If you're going to go do anything, I recommend you go do this. I'll call the guy. I'll tell him you're coming. They could do that. Getting the training. I mean, my point is there's this opportunity here to get really, really good, especially with these young guys now coming in. Jordan loves offense. Jordan loves players. But you have to be willing to change your mindset from what we've always done and switch it to like we're going to develop the hell out of this guy and we're not going to do it the old-fashioned way we're going to show him we're going to prove to him we're going to tell him the why we're going to show him the how we're going to make him teach it back to us we're going to hold him accountable that's what we're going to do right i just think there's, there's an incredible opportunity there on any team but you just think of it from this standpoint the reason i rant about this sometimes is i know firsthand and i know through the guys i work with when you have a guy that's willing to do that stuff, the success rate is ridiculous compared to the rest of the league. In other words, if everybody is kind of past the hurdle of, okay, I'm athletic enough to play in this league, the guys that level up, like 90% of those guys are the guys that are willing to just do what we just talked about. Because there's like 80, 85% of the dudes that are just happy to be there. And then there's that really, really small amount that can do anything because they're they're the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Incredible opportunities out there. Incredible opportunities abound, man. I'm telling you, it's it's always nuts to me every year. This is that that time of year where you're like, if you're a player or an ex-player, you think about all the progress you can make right now and how you just can secretly kind of get better than everybody else right now with just what you're doing, improving your process, feeling confident in what you build, learning how to build confidence in yourself and your game. It's just an, it's really an awesome time because it's safe. You're in a safe environment. There's no pressure, man. Just go, just go work. Just go put work in right now and enjoy it. Just love it. You know, old hat, man, get off my lawn. I have to say the, the, the first thing about get off my lawn this week is these damn horse races. I don't get it. First of all, I don't get it. You watch a horse go around a track. You watch a dog go around a track. I, I don't get it. I don't, and I don't get anything where you got these uh, small jockeys and they're like cutting weight and everything to sit on this horse to make the horse lighter and faster and everything. And then now you got, I think like seven horses died at the Kentucky Derby. And I, I was reading this this morning. It says, uh, it says, uh, okay. A three-year-old gelding, the coat of Kings kept flipping and broke his neck before the race. The horse appeared to be fixated on the lights in the nearby DJ booth. And then there's a bunch of other horses that basically they breed these horses to be faster by their leg bones are thinner and thinner. So knees, ankles, everything just starts snapping. And it's apparently so bad that the horse can't walk anymore. They just put it down. So they put down seven horses before the week before this race. So it's like, imagine if a horse could, I just, you know, my son and I were talking about this. We go, imagine if horses could talk to one another, you know, what they'd be talking about. Like, Hey, where'd John go? I haven't seen John in a couple of days. Anyways, 
I won't go into that. It was uh, incredibly inappropriate. But it is uh, – I don't get why. And I get that you, you wear the funny hats and all this. I, I But go to the, the Formula One races in Miami. That's fun. That's humans driving cool cars that we built with our own two hands, driving as fast as we can, pushing the limits. It's not like putting down seven horses before a race so you can wear a funny hat and drink, you know, stupid drinks, uh, uh, cocktails on a Sunday. Um, I didn't get to see John uh, Guardians of the Three, Galaxy Three. I, we're gonna talk about that next week because uh, Amon's a huge fan. However, my son and I did watch the great movie Kill Bill last night, Volume One, and you know. We're watching this movie. It's a gory movie. It's a great movie, though. God, if anybody hadn't seen it, it they, they do all like the uh, the jump flying like they did in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, right? So they have like almost superpowers. So Max has watched this and he goes, uh, who wins in a fight, the bride or John Wick? And I thought, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good damn question. Who wins in a fight? Kill Bill's the bride, Uma Thurman, or John Wick? And after watching the show yesterday, because they do the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon stuff, I'm going to have to say Uma. The Bride beats John Wick in a fight, fair or unfair. Unbelievable movie. I hope you guys have, uh, have a chance to watch that, by the way, if you haven't. It's uh, it's phenomenal. We're going to get out of here. This show's been long enough. I want to say one more time, the player development stuff. Because it, it really it, it's applicable to anything you're doing. If you're a sports guy, it's great for sports. If you're trying to, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to be really good, if you're trying to be a piano player, you're trying to play the saxophone, you're trying to be a great martial artist, you're trying to be good with a sword. I mean, anything you do, there's there's certain things that you know now and you don't know, but having those people in your life that can help you along the way, as long as you have the motivation and you're curious, you're not afraid to like you have enough confidence to understand that you don't know everything. You can take information for what it is. You can be objective. You're confident. You're just working on your process. Working on your process. Working on your process. Don't take everything as being negative. Don't think everything is being, it's a bad thing because you're not where you want to be. You know, that's where I think as in the NFL, players and coaches and buildings, we can really take a huge step forward and you can kind of raise the level of play across the board. There's my soapbox, guys. Mike Wall 68 on Twitter, process to perform on Instagram. Hope you guys enjoyed today. Thank you to betonline.ag for the show. Amon, we'll see you next week, bud. Um, I think he's doing his, uh, whatchamacallit, Gamers Lounge, Thursdays, 11 a.m. Central. Check that out on the Monterey on Twitch, Monterey 30. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.